This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How many times have you heard the phrase, make time for yourself? And how many times have you secretly thought, well, that's never gonna happen? Therapy lets you carve out time of your busy schedule and make the most of it. Visit betterhelp.com super to try it out. Hey, brother! And happy Star Wars week, everyone, and may the fourth be with you. One of the things I love the most about Star Wars is there's just this vast galaxy of content that has been released over generations worth of time. And from the movies, shows, books, comics, and video games, people have been able to find so many different ways to engage with it or, you know, reject it, which does tend to happen in this fandom. Like, what Star Wars is or should be feels like it is always always up for debate. Should it be a rigorous adherence to the laws of canon? Or an ongoing representation of what the film industry is technologically capable of? Or are we all thinking about it too much? Just a good old fashioned space western, y'all? Who knows? But lately, it does feel like the Star Wars universe has been in spectacular form. I mean, The Mandalorian in particular seems like it really just hits that sweet spot where it has something for everyone. And Grogu, who uniquely is for everyone. Plus we have Ahsoka coming out later this year and all that's gonna come with that, which is gonna be awesome. I mean, it's gonna have Sabine and Thrawn. Thrawn, y'all. Which if you don't know, trust me, you will. It's gonna be awesome. Space whales. Nobody expects the hyperspace whales. But in true Star Wars week fashion, I thought what could be better than counting down to the top 10 moments that are sure to be beloved by all. Hopefully. We're talking force kills, Vader pulls, ancient wisdom, lightsabers, friendship, love, and more. So without any further ado, may the force be with you. Yeah, that sounded cooler in my head. All right, so before we begin, because I've got a bad feeling about this, let me just say this list is entirely subjective. And if you disagree with what my top 10 moments are, please let me know in the comments section below. I'd be happy to come down there and hear what you have to say and explain to you why my list is absolutely perfect and you're dead wrong, which might be the most Star Wars sentence I've ever said. Anyway, let's kick things off with number 10, Vader arrives in Rogue One. You know, where he comes out and scolds Krennic for waking him up from his milk nap. No, obviously at the end, because oh my God, I could not tell you how many times I have rewatched this scene over and over and over. My wife insists I should stop showing it to my five-year-old and twin three-year-old sons, but I keep saying, no, they need to know. But I know what you're thinking. Jay, how could this not be like way higher up on your list? And for sure, it could have been because what has always been crazy to me about Darth Vader is how little screen time he actually has in the original trilogy versus the amount of impact he has had on pop culture as a whole. Like seriously, in the first three movies, I think he's on screen for less than 16 minutes total, which is insane when you consider he's like maybe the most well-known villain of all time? I find your lack of faith disturbing. And it's even wilder when you consider that he's basically the main character of Star Wars. Like maybe not any individual piece of content except like the prequel trilogy, but just Star Wars as a whole. Capital S, capital W, Darth Vader is the main character. Everything else is collateral to him. It's all about finding him, manipulating him, and the ripple effect any of his actions end up having across the entire galaxy. And yet, despite his obvious respected power level across the original trilogy, we never actually get to see Vader 
at full power. His fight with Obi-Wan in A New Hope is very much more about what's not being said between the two characters. In Empire Strikes Back, he is barely even trying against Luke and still whooping his butt. And then in Return of the Jedi, he's much more trying to sway Luke to the dark side rather than actually kill him. But that is why this scene in Rogue One is so epic. It's not just that he's mowing through these worthless rebel soldiers in a commanding fashion. It's that after 20 years of waiting, we get to see him go full Vader and what he is really capable of and why everyone is really so afraid of him. That said, the ramifications of the scene aren't very grand. I mean, the rebels do get away with the Death Star plans. So that's why it's at number 10. Number nine. There is one way out. Okay, so this comes from a newer addition to the Star Wars universe. It is from the show Andor on Disney+. Plus. So if you haven't seen that yet, maybe skip ahead to number eight. But also, if you haven't seen it, please go watch Andor. I mean, the whole show is amazing, but the three-episode prison break arc that culminates with this speech is so good, it will make you want to cry. The speech is delivered by Andy Serkis, who is absolutely crushing it as inmate Kino Loy. We will never have a better chance than this. During the speech, he rallies every prisoner to fight back and escape the prison. And if by the end of it, you on your couch aren't shouting one way out, then you might want to check your pulse because you could be dead. And while in the scene, he's just talking to the inmates about overthrowing the guards, he may as well be speaking to every oppressed person in the galaxy about overthrowing the empire. In fact, on this note, this speech also has massive ramifications for the future of the entire galaxy. Because not only does Cass and escape prison here, which is a big deal because if he doesn't, then he can't meet up with Jyn Erso and steal the Death Star plans and give them to the rebels and narrowly escape Darth Vader while he's mowing through all those worthless troops. But he also says this line. And I would rather die trying to take them down than giving them what they want. And you can visibly see the effect this line has on Cassian. It is the line that fully turns him into a rebel and also kind of foreshadows his own death. Seriously, the whole show is worth just this one scene, but but also the rest of it's really cool too. So. But that brings us to number eight. You need a pilot. I need a pilot. We're gonna do this. Yeah. Okay, not just that scene in particular, but just Finn and Poe as friends in general. Like, man, oh man, do these two just have so much chemistry together on screen right out of the gate in The Force Awakens. I'm Poe, Poe Dameron. Good to meet you, Poe. Good to meet you too, Finn. Like, I love that Finn is the one who's trying to orchestrate this breakout, but Poe almost immediately takes charge and is the one giving Finn confidence to go through with the breakout. We're gonna do this. Yeah? But that's obviously not the only thing Poe gives Finn. Hi, Finn, huh? Finn, I'm gonna call you Finn, is that all right? The whole scene is just incredible to me. It's not just the instant friendship. It's that Finn, after three seconds turning on the First Order, experiences the genuine kindness of anyone who's not in the First Order. You and your friends are doomed. We will wipe your filth from the galaxy. Plus, and I can't undersell this enough, they do blow some stuff up. It's just palpable camaraderie. They may as well be two kids in the backyard playing, asking if they saw the other would blow something up. It's just that the something was an actual um, warship and the, and the sandboxes 
space. And it's like they just can't help but admire each other. Later in the movie, Finn thinks Poe is dead, but he has the same reaction when he sees him flying again, even though he doesn't know it's him. But moving on from Finn and Poe, that brings us to number seven, Ray pulls the lightsaber. Yeah, move over, Cap. Pulling Mjolnir was great, but Ray did it first. Look, I know people like to complain about the sequel trilogy as a whole, and yeah, maybe they got a little off the rails there towards the end, but The Force Awakens is not a part of the problem. If I'm in a bad mood, I will literally just pull this scene up to get myself psyched. Because for the whole movie, Ray has been impressing us, the audience, as a pilot, as a mechanic, I bypass the compressor. And just as a general moral compass. This droid has to get to the resistance base as soon as possible. But while she's flirted with the force, like when she touches the lightsaber or turns Kylo Ren's psychic powers back on himself or persuades the stormtroopers. I will remove these restraints and leave the cell with the door open. She also kind of runs from each of those situations, resisting her destiny. I'm never touching that thing again. I don't want any part of this. Most of the time, she's just trying to get back to Jakku so she can continue waiting for her parents to return, which she has to know isn't gonna happen. Why does everyone wanna go back to Jakku? In this moment, however, she finally realizes the truth and embraces not just herself and the Force, but also a lightsaber. And it's not just that she pulls it, it's that Kylo Ren is trying to pull the lightsaber to himself at the same time, and yet it goes to her. It really makes you wonder, like, is she actually more powerful than him, or did the lightsaber just choose her? And I have to say that even now in 2023, it's hard to say. What we do know is that the lightsaber called to her, and that her first use of it mirrors Luke's first use of it. At least they both pull it out of the snow and then Luke uses it to free himself from the Wampa Cave. Which, cross multiply and divide, Kylo Ren is confirmed Wampa. Either way, I will never forget the surprise or excitement of watching this for the first time in theaters, and it will always be on my top 10. That said, time to move on to number six. Do or do not. There is no try. It is possibly the most quoted line in all of Star Wars. And even though it's only eight words long, it is also maybe the best description of the force we ever get. It means with the force, all things are possible. It's not about how big or how stuck your X-wing is or moving rocks around or completing obstacle courses. It's about believing fully in yourself and the Force. And not only does Yoda set Luke straight in the scene, but what's great about it is how it almost immediately backfires in Yoda's face. Sort of. Because shortly after this lesson, Luke perceives Han and Leia to be in trouble and knows in his soul that it is the right thing to do to go and rescue them, even though Yoda tells him, no, please don't do that. You need to complete your training. I've got to go to them. But what's great is that he is putting to use the exact lesson he just learned from Yoda. And not only that, this is the line that eventually sets Luke up to bring Vader back from the dark to the light side in Return of the Jedi. And it won't work if he's just trying to do it. Instead, Luke walks in with the absolute knowledge and faith that there is still good in his father. I feel the good in you. It's not a matter of trying to bring him back. It's a matter of knowing he can be brought back. And so, he does. Love is indeed a powerful thing. Which brings us to number five. I love you. I know. Look, you guys, I've been to Disney World a lot at this point, and you can't go 10 minutes at that park without seeing some happy couple wearing a matching shirt combo of I love you, I know. The reverberations of this moment in Empire Strikes Back are just too big to measure. And it's not just in real life, but inside of the Star Wars universe as well. I mean, Han and Leia begin falling in love almost the moment they meet in their, you know, own special way. You stuck up, half-witted, 
scruffy looking nerf herder. And they spent most of Empire Strikes Back just avoiding telling each other how they feel. I think you just can't bear to let a gorgeous guy like me out of your sight. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. But this declaration right here before he's frozen in carbonite helps inform everything Han has done up to this point and everything the two of them continue to do moving forward. With this knowledge, Han's return in A New Hope isn't just because he thinks it's the right thing to do, it's also because he's in love with Leia. And while this may seem more selfish than selfless, which on the whole kind of matches what we know about Han's motivations at this point anyway, I think there's more to it than that. What I mean is he doesn't just return because he's in love with her. It's the fact that two people are in love and that that love motivates their actions. That's like the point of everything. Because as we know, Han's return in that moment is vital to the Rebellion's success against the Empire, and thus their love is vital to the future of the galaxy. I mean, it also then eventually leads to the creation of Kylo Ren, who causes his own amount of trouble for the galaxy. So there's that, but... um. Did you know Harrison Ford improv that line on the spot? So that's pretty cool. And guys, now we need to take a quick break to thank today's sponsor, MeUndies. Let me tell you something about me and my brother, Benjamin. We are both really into cool sneakers and footwear. But of course you never get to see them because we sit like this and not like this, which would be, you know, better for our shoes, but worse for our posture. And we all have really interesting parts of ourselves that not everyone gets to see. So much like our affinity for cool kicks, you don't get to see what's in our underwear drawer. And MeUndies is a celebration of what makes you who you are underneath it all. They know hidden comfort and style style better than anyone. But we talk about MeUndies a lot on the show, not just because they're a sponsor, but also because they're a lifestyle. I love that I can wear undies that help me celebrate my fandom and keep me comfy around the clock. Personally, at this point, my entire drawer is outfitted with MeUndies. I have like the cool fandom ones, I have the plain solid ones for variety's sake. And I couldn't recommend the MeUndies membership more because you get to choose a brand new pair of socks or underwear or bralette each month. You'll also save up to 30% on all the MeUndies softness you can handle and get early access to brand new deals and products. So to get 25% off your first order plus free standard shipping, head over to MeUndies.com slash theories. And remember, if you're not satisfied, your purchase is on MeUndies. So again, get 25% off and head over to MeUndies.com slash theories. Link is in the description down below. Number four, the duel of the fates, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul. Look, I'll be honest, I have not always been the world's greatest Qui-Gon Jinn fan, like, at all. Growing up, I was very much of the opinion, like, dude, Qui-Gon, if you would just listen to Yoda and Mace Windu and not trade Anakin, then all of this could have been avoided, right? Like, why doesn't anyone else realize it's all Qui-Gon's fault? But alas, that's not really the case, is it? Have you ever wondered why this scene is called the duel of the fates? Well, quite simply, it's because the outcome of the duel dictates the fate of the galaxy. Qui-Gon, despite his obvious skill and mastery of the Force, has never been promoted to Jedi Master, nor asked to join the Jedi Council. And this is largely because Qui-Gon fundamentally disagrees with the Jedi's notion of not feeling any of your feelings. He tries to instruct Obi-Wan in this way, who argues with him about it, but Obi-Wan never gets 100% there. He always wants to please not just Qui-Gon, but also the Council. Do not defy the Council Master, not again. And so the Duel of the Fates is really all about who will train Anakin. 
the chosen one. If Qui-Gon is victorious here, then he will be the one to train Anakin. He will let him feel his emotions, let him love Padme, and the chosen one will grow up the way you'd expect him to grow up. But Qui-Gon dies, and so Obi-Wan must raise him, who himself is pulled in different directions, and thus Anakin's faith remains hanging in the balance. And watching this scene growing up, it used to always really bother me that Darth Maul never got more character development throughout the movie. Which, by the way, if you want to see his character development, there is a ton of that out in the shows and the comics and stuff, so it exists. But in the movie, he's just supposed to represent evil, which is why everything about him screams evil. The red and black face, the spiky head, the double-bladed red lightsaber, the rotten teeth. It's just good versus bad, and the winner gets to decide Anakin's fate. And the more you understand that about this particular scene, the more the rest of the movie really comes together. Except for all the Jar Jar stuff. You can still just cut that right out. This duel also really just goes to show you that having the high ground isn't always the most important thing, especially against Obi-Wan. But hey, speaking of Anakin, fate, let's move on to number three. You were the chosen one who said that you would destroy this Sith, not join them. Gosh, Ewan McGregor just crushes this scene. For one, you realize just how powerful and skilled Obi-Wan really is, but you could just watch his heartbreak. Like he takes no pleasure at all in defeating Anakin here. But it's not just the heart wrench or the action that makes this scene so great. It's all of the implications. It's Anakin's fall from grace, Palpatine's victory, the rise of Vader, and the broken bond between him and Obi-Wan, all wrapped up in the climax of the prequel trilogy. There's a lot going on here, and it's the birth of Darth Vader, who, lest we forget, is the main character. Also, it really just goes to show how having the high ground is definitely the most important thing, especially against Obi-Wan. And that brings us to number two. Ahsoka versus Vader, and this lie. I am no Jedi. Oh, if you ever want to make me cry, just show me this scene. It is like so emotionally charged. I love it so much. I watch it like once a month. Here's the thing. Star Wars Rebels might be about Ezra and Kanan and Hera and everyone else taking down the Empire and fighting Thrawn and forming the Rebellion, but I have thought before that the entire show really just exists for this one scene. This is a scene for Star Wars fans. The full weight of it can really only be felt if you have watched the original six movies, all of Clone Wars, and all of Rebels. It is the first time Ahsoka confronts Anakin since leaving the Jedi Order, and every bit of it is perfect. As former master and apprentice, they are so very much two sides of the same coin. The obvious difference being that Ahsoka is light and Vader is dark. But as they prepare to square off, you are immediately reminded how similar these two actually are and how both of them were horribly betrayed by the Jedi Order. The Jedi turned against me. Don't you turn against me? As a reminder, Ahsoka's exit from the Jedi Order involved her being framed for murder. And although her name is eventually truly cleared, the fact that the Jedi lost faith in her so quickly was all she needed to know for her to walk away forever, even though Anakin, her best friend and mentor, never failed to believe her innocence. Ironically, since then, Ahsoka has suspected Vader of being Anakin, and she has never given up on him. I was beginning to believe I knew who you were behind that mask, but it's impossible. I won't leave you. Not this time. But when she finally confronts him about it, this time it's him who refuses her. Anakin Skywalker was weak. 
I destroyed him. This prompts Ahsoka to seek vengeance for Anakin, but Vader reminds her that revenge is not the Jedi way, but that doesn't matter because... I am no Jedi. The Order's betrayal of each of these characters has sent them on a collision course towards each other. And now, due to Vader's own training of Ahsoka, she might be the only one who can take him down. In fact, she even manages to land a blow on him. And it seems like in doing so, maybe she's going to get through to him. But he takes the opportunity to manipulate her emotions and trap her in the temple with him. Ahsoka. Anakin, I won't leave you. Not this time. Then you will die. The other thing that makes this particular scene so great is that it is meant to mirror the confrontation Vader has with Obi-Wan in A New Hope. In fact, the opening dialogue from Vader is pretty similar in both situations. I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. Our long-awaited meeting come at last. The obvious difference is that in A New Hope, he's against his old master, whereas in Rebels, he's against his old apprentice. The two people who, outside of Padme, represent the most important relationships in his entire life, and yet neither of them is able to guide him back to the light. And it doesn't end there, because this scene has continued to pay dividends since originally airing. Because while the beginning of this scene mirrors the duel in A New Hope, the new Obi-Wan show then mirrors the end of this scene where Obi-Wan also lands the exact same blow on Vader. Anakin. Anakin. Oh, it's just so good. And that brings us to number one. But before we get there, I want to give some honorable mentions to some things that just barely missed out on the top 10, including Obi-Wan saying, Hello there. Then, of course, there's blowing stuff up like the Death Star, Star Killer Base, and of course, the Holdo Maneuver. There's the pod race as a whole, the twin sons on Tatooine, and of course, Hi, I'm Matt. I'm a radar technician. All of them just. But that brings us to number one, which, let's be honest, you probably could have guessed from the start. No, I am your father. Yes, I know, it's one of the most misquoted scenes of all time, but this is the scene. Not just one of the best scenes in Star Wars, but maybe one of the most important scenes in the history of of movies. I mean, this scene is why Star Wars is what Star Wars is today. Like, it might not be the most crazy movie twist of all time, but it is the movie twist. You know what I mean? Watching this scene as a kid is what turned me into a lifelong Star Wars fan. It changes Vader from this faceless evil space samurai that's just sort of like an obstacle for Luke to overcome and turns it into an extremely personal battle for Luke. It's no longer whether or not Luke can collect enough skills or combat training to defeat this one bad guy. The fate of the galaxy comes down to a single relationship and whether or not Luke can succeed where Vader's master and apprentice have both failed. Vader has proven over and over he's able to maintain his allegiance to the dark side even in the face of great friendship. But is he able to strike down the child of the wife he never stopped loving? No, he is not. All he can ever hope to do is to convert Luke to the dark side, and that's exactly what Luke is trying to do to him in reverse. And of course, we all know who wins. Love conquers all. But there you go, guys. That's my top 10 favorite Star Wars moments of all time. Sorry if I left any of your favorites off of this particular list, but I'd be happy to hear what they are. Please let me know in the towel section down below.
Also guys, in celebration of Star Wars week and May the 4th, we have a brand new product available over at Carlin Brothers Mercantile, but rather than tell you about it, allow me to show you. There has been an awakening. The dark side and the light. Have you felt it? Seriously, that chocolate is so good. But anyway, thank you guys so much for watching today's video. Don't forget to leave a like on it if you haven't already and subscribe so you don't miss any future Star Wars action from us. If you want to see what all of the different lightsaber colors mean, you can check out this video right here. But otherwise, until next time, I will see you in another life, brother.